We've been in this series talking about the algorithm of life. And someone said, what is an algorithm? It's very simply our lives, you might not even realize this, are controlled by an algorithm. Every time you get on your computer, every time you get on social media, every time you get on Instagram, every time you get on Facebook, every time you get on TikTok, every time you get on Snapchat, every time you get on every one of those social media... Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. Twitter. Trump's back on Twitter now. Man, I tell you what, it's going to be fun. But when you get on social media, there's an algorithm based on your patterns. They watch how you do things, and they make sure you see what they want you to see. But here's the catch. Don't miss this. Based on what you want to see, there's an algorithm. And we've been talking about there's an algorithm to life. This book gives an algorithm. It gives a pattern to live if you want to live the life that God created you for. And make no mistake about it today, God created you to enjoy this thing called life. It's amazing. The fact that you got up this morning is reason to celebrate today. The fact that you got to get up this morning and come and live in a country where you get to come into the house of God without fear of persecution is a reason to shout today. We have an amazing thing called life, and the reality is most people are living life going through the motions. They're the walking dead, if you will. They're, they're going to a job they hate, to buy things they don't need, to impress people they don't like, and it's like Groundhog every freaking day. They get up on Monday, and they do it, and they get up on Tuesday, and they do it, and they get up on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and, and to quote the old 80s song, we're living for the weekend, but the weekend's miserable if we were to be honest, and we're just living life going through the motions. But God created us to enjoy life, to live life to the full, it says. The problem is we don't want to follow the algorithm that God has given us. We don't want to put the foundational things into play that God has given us. We'd rather wallow in our self-pity. We'd rather become comfortable in our discomfort. We would rather live broke, busted, and disgusted and feel sorry for ourselves and lose in life instead of winning life. And the reality is that manifests itself in many different ways. There's different ways of success and there's different ways of winning. But the reality is anybody who is winning in life in whatever category they're winning in, they're following the algorithm that God has laid out. We talked about this the first week and we talked about the first step in living that algorithm. We talked about the first move that we have to do is we have to live life passionately. We have to live a life of risk-taking, a life of doing what we feel called to do. We talked about last week that in order to, to live the algorithm that God has laid out, you have to learn to love completely. And we broke down the Good Samaritan story, and we talked about how loving people is loving no strings attached. Well, I want to talk to you today, and I want to encourage you today because I like to be an encourager. And before I give you the third step, I just want to lift you up today I want to make you feel good today. I, I want you to feel better about yourself today. And I want to give you a couple of things you need to realize. In life, here's the encouraging word today. In life, you're going to screw up. In life, you're going to mess up. In life, 
you're going to stumble along the way. In life, dare I say, you're going to F up some big ways. You're going to hurt some people along the way. You're going to lie to people along the way. You're going to cheat people along the way. It's not that we want to do it. It's just life. In life, you're going to mess up. And here's the thing. You're not going to mess up just one time. You're going to mess up multiple times. You're going to do things that you wish with everything that you could do. You could go back in the DeLorean, go back in time and change those things. But you can't. In life, very simply, you're going to make mistakes. And I think the worst thing about screwing up and the worst thing about messing up is no matter how bad you wish you could change those things, you can't. You can't erase them. We're in the third week of this series. And we're talking about the algorithm. We're talking about living life passionately. We're talking about loving completely. The theme verse for this has kind of been in John 10, 10. The Bible says, the thief comes only to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I mean, think about that for a minute. God loves us so much. He wants us to live life to the max. So he lays out an algorithm for us. And again, I I told you, it's living completely, loving, living passionately, loving completely. And today, I think it's one of the hardest ones. Because this involves not our attitude towards others. It involves being honest with ourselves. And this becomes the stumbling block that I see to people who cannot figure out the algorithm, if they will. I'm going to talk to you today about how we learn from your mistakes. Anybody out there messed up? I know it's church and it's hard to be honest in church. We will, you know, we we honest everywhere we come to church, we got to act like we got it all together. It don't matter if we fought with the wife the whole way here, boy, when you turn into 261 Marriott Road, you put that fake smile on your face. But how's it going? Oh, I'm blessed, brother. Ain't it funny like Christians have their own lingo? Blessed and highly favored. Just here for the fellowship. You know, we use this terminology we never use anywhere else. And then we wonder why the outside world looks at us weird. And then we justify, well, that's because they're not saved. Or maybe we're just weird. We're going to screw up in life. There's no one here that is perfect. That means that in life, we're going to make mistakes. Some of those mistakes are going to be small. Some of those mistakes are going to be huge. And there's no way around making mistakes. It doesn't matter how hard you try, you can't avoid making mistakes. You can't go over mistakes. You can't go under mistakes. You can't go around mistakes. Mistakes happen, and the only thing you can do is go through those mistakes. But the problem is so many of us screw up, we make mistakes, and then we live with the guilt of those mistakes, and the devil loves to remind us of those mistakes, and it keeps us from living the life that God chose for us to live. When you mess up, and honey, I hate to tell you, you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up again. You're going to hurt people. There's only really two things you can do with a mistake. 
Two things I see that people do. The first thing is I see they allow their past failures to define them. They allow their past failures to define them. Satan loves this. He wants you to allow your screw-ups to become who you are. That's the drunk. Oh, that's the addict. That's the adulterer. That's the liar. That's the thief. That's the abuser. That's the guy with the temper. Doesn't matter how many years ago it was, how much healing you've got since that time, so many people come along and they define themselves by it. Sin is an event, not a person. Mistakes are an event, not a person. We all screw up around here. There's only one person who ever walked this earth perfect, and you're not him. Contrary to popular belief, as you sit out in that crowd and you watch me week after week after week, I'm not him either. I know you're shocked. You're going to mess up. But we allow that to define us so many times. Satan loves to come along and he wants you to be known by what you did instead of what Jesus did. He he wants you to be known by your screw up instead of the fact that Christ paid it all on the cross. He already took care of it. He wasn't shocked by your mistake. So some people come along and they allow their past failures to define them. And then some people, and it's a rare breed, and these are who understand the algorithm of life and want to win. They come along and they allow their past failures to refine them. To mold them. To shape them. The Bible says in Isaiah 48.10, See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. So you need to understand something. The way they would get the impurities out of silver is they would run it through the fire. They would run it through the fire seven times. And every time it would go through the fire, more of the impurities would come out. And at the end of that process, you had the purest silver. He said, I have tested you. I have run you through the furnace of affliction. I have run you through the furnace of screwing up. I have run you through the furnace of mistakes. I've run you through the furnace of hurting people. You didn't understand it at the time, and it wasn't what I wanted for you, but when you screwed up, I just said, I'm going to use this as a lesson. I'm going to begin to refine that person. God will take your mess, and he'll make it your greatest ministry. Here's the deal. Show me somebody who walks without a limp, and I'll show you somebody who's not trustworthy. It takes people who have been there done that. How many times have some of you come to me and said, man, I want to talk to you about something. And you'll begin to talk to me. And so I say, you know what, man, I'm glad you came to me and you can come to me anytime, but I'm not the best person to talk to about this. Let me introduce you to so-and-so. You say, well, that's just because you don't like people. Well, that's a little bit true. But really, believe it or not, it's because that person's been where you've been. And they can relate to what you're going through better than I can. I don't have that limp. I might have another limp. I might have another wound along the way. But God will take your mess and use it for ministry. He'll use it for greatness. But you've got to allow that to refine you. This is when you allow your mistakes. I don't miss this. It's when you allow your mistakes to make you a better person. You allow your past mistakes to be teaching moments. You allow your scars of your past to no longer hinder you. 
and remind you that God got you through that and He can use you. So it can define you or it can refine you. The reality is, is we are who we are today because of our past. Both good and bad. Our past has shaped us. Our past has formed us. Our past has wounded us and it has made us. People ask me all the time, do you wish you could go back and change X, Y, Z? And I'm like, never. Because without X, Y, Z, I wouldn't be here today. I had to go through that to get to this. I didn't like the person I was then. We've got to learn from our mistakes because here's the deal. You're going to make mistakes, and if you hang on to your mistakes, you're never going to live a life of victory. You're going to live the life of a victim, a life of feeling sorry for yourself. The reality is, is life is hard. I don't know who promised you that life would be easy. I, with all due respect to every TV evangelist out there that talks about the day you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, life becomes just great. It's like walking through a field of sunflowers, dancing with a unicorn who every time he farts, bubbles come out of his ass. That's not reality and that's not life. Life's hard. Life will beat you up. Life will try to beat you down. We live in a sin-filled world and we have a sin nature and sin does damage. Life happens. And we are who we are today because of the experiences that we've been through. But if you truly want to live the life God created you for, if you really want to make the most out of your life, If you want to do the best you can with the one shot that you have, you've got to decide that your future will no longer be shaped and determined by your past. That was yesterday, and you can't go back there. Now, here's the reality. That sounds good. That's one of those sermons where everybody's amening. If we were in a black church today and didn't have a bunch of white honkies in here, they'd be hooping and hollering and waving a hanky. But I understand y'all have no rhythm and no soul, so y'all just sit there and every once in a while show out a little amen. But that's good preaching if a white boy is getting to do it. I've heard some black ones do it and get with it. But a white one's getting to do it today, and that sounds good to preach. And we love to amen it, but here's the deal. It's easier said than done. It's easy to say, man, God has forgiven me and I need to move on from my past. But man, we replay it over and over. The guilt sets in. And then if we get to the point in our life where we have victory over it, other people come along and remind you of it. They love to remind you of your screw-ups because you sinned differently than they did. They love to hold you down because they're threatened by your freedom. Misery loves company. The reality is, is I met with a guy this week and he said, I asked some people about you. And I said, did you? I knew where it was going because I knew the circles he runs in. He said, yeah, they brought up blah, blah, blah. I said, of course they did. That was 13 years ago. I'm not mad at those people. But that's our mindset. We love to remind people of their past. Not, man, in 13 years, that guy has 
got his life turned around, man. He feeds people and clothes people and he leads a crazy-ass group of people down there in the ghetto of Canton who are willing to do whatever it takes to reach those that are far from God. Instead, we start with the negative because we're a negative society and nobody shoots their own like Christians. Somebody say amen. Oh, we're going to have fun today. Here you seem upset. I'm not upset at all. I don't get upset. I'm just telling you. In a church like this, here's what I know. There's some people with some past here. Hey, here's the funny thing. In all those churches where they're acting like they have it together today, they all got past too. We just parade ours out on the front porch, baby. We don't know we're supposed to hide it. Man, your past will define you. Mental things are the hardest to overcome. And when you screwed up and you see the path of destruction that it's caused, it's easy to keep beating yourself up. It's easy to keep replaying it years later. It's easy to say, man, what if I'd never done that? But the reality is, man, God said I had a plan for that. And the crowd this size, here's the reality. I don't know what has happened in your past. But I do know this, that God doesn't make mistakes. That God shaped you. And he formed you. And he made you. And he molded you. You might have been a surprise in the backseat of your mommy and daddy's car, but you didn't catch God by surprise. He told Jeremiah, he said, I knew you in your mother's womb. He said, I set you apart in your mother's womb to be a prophet to the nations. Here's what I know today. God has a plan for your life. God doesn't make mistakes. God has a calling on your life. God wants you to do incredibly great things. Now, here's the reality of it. We're called the body of Christ. That means there's different components to the body. Some of you are the legs. Some of you are the toes. Some of you are the mouth. Some of you are the the eyes. Some of you are the mouthpiece. We all have different roles, but God has a calling on you. And the beautiful thing is, is when you fall into your calling, it comes together and makes this incredible body that is unstoppable. But we try to cut off the hand because the hand might not have done something we liked in the past. We get rid of the mouthpiece because he might not be the person that we think ought to be the mouthpiece. God has a calling and he wants to do great things through you. But some of you are living life less than God intended for you to live because you can't move past your past. And here's the reality. You'll never move past it. But you've got to learn from it. You've got to get humble and you've got to ask yourself, you've got to own your crap. Aren't you proud of me? Own your crap. I'm growing. I'm practicing in case the Baptist ever asked me to come preach. Can you say crap in the Baptist church? You've got to own your crap. And ask what lessons you can learn from it. I don't know what it is today, but I know there's some heaviness in this crowd today. Maybe you weren't the best parent. 
Maybe you weren't the best child. Maybe there's some sexual sin in your past. Maybe there's, there's some hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Maybe, maybe there's some addictions. Maybe there, there's some emotional issues that you didn't have under control and you allowed them to come out and hurt other people. I don't know what they are today, but you do. They're already playing in your head. Your heart's pounding a little bit today. Your throat's getting a little bit dry. You're feeling convicted. You know what you did and you know what you can't let go of. And today I don't have a way to tell you how to let go of it, but I'm going to show you things to do where you can learn from it. For some of you, it's a reoccurring sin. You can't let go of something. There's something that you do, man, and you come along and you ask God to take it away from you, and he takes it away from you, and bam, I'll never do this again, and next thing you know, you're back into it again. Those hurts, those habits, those hang-ups. Maybe you said something to someone that you love. You've heard me say this a million times in this church. The biggest lie that we teach our children is sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me or words will never hurt me. Words hurt. They hurt. I'm learning that the older I get. We replay those over and over and over and over in our head. You've hurt some people, and, and here's the problem with some of you, you've hurt some people, maybe it was your spouse, maybe it was whoever, a co-worker, a friend, a family member, and they've forgiven you. They've moved on, but you can't forgive yourself. You're putting yourself in bondage over something that can't be changed. It's time for you to learn from that. And move forward. David said in Psalms, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. And I've been there. Answer that phone, tell them you're in church. And ask them why they ain't here. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I don't know what it is about guilt and sin, but man, you can feel it in your chest. Your shoulders. There's a heaviness there. And you're carrying that around. I did a sermon one time with a huge ball and chain tied to my leg. And it was amazing. After I did that sermon, my leg hurt for probably about three or four days from walking around the stage and carrying that thing. It weighed about 20 pounds. And that's what we do every day of our life. We're walking around with that chain to us, even though God's given us the keys to undo it. Man, let me enlighten you on something today, and I don't mean this in an insensitive way. You screwed up. Big deal, you're not special. Join the club. Look to your right. They're a screw-up. Look to your left. Mm-hmm. Screw-up. Look behind you. Screw up. It doesn't make you special that you messed up. It's called life. We mess up. The past continues to follow us. Someone told me the other day, he said, man, I just want to mentor young people, but who am I to do that? 
You know what I did when I was young? So they told me, I said, who cares? Are you doing those things today? Well, no. Today. Someone I heard the other day, they said, man, I'd never go to a divorce person for marriage advice. Why not? I can write a book on how not to be a good husband. I can write five books on how not to be a good husband. Funny, people, and they should, so I don't want to discredit this, but people wear the fact that they're in the same marriage now for 40 years as a badge of honor, even though they've been miserable, 35 of those 40 years. Congratulations, you stuck it out. I'm not saying everybody. We need to understand something. Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. Nothing you can do that is too big of a mess up for God to love you. I've always shared this. I always think it's the height of arrogance because we draw some rough people in this church. This is not your normal church crowd. Most of you don't know that because this is the only church you know. But it don't really happen like this everywhere else. (laughs) Shocker. (laughs) We have a unique calling on this church to open a place for those who don't do church. And I always laugh because we'll get people who come in the church the first time. And I, I know it's because they're uncomfortable. And I know it's because they feel awkward. And they'll make some statement like, oh, I can't believe the roof didn't cave in when I walked in. Don't flatter yourself. You ain't as big and bad as you think, and trust me. There's some people in this church that'll go toe for toe with you all day long with your past. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. You look through this book and you'll see a bunch of messed up, screwed up people that God's used for his glory. God doesn't use the most qualified. He uses the most available. This book is full of murderers that were used by God and thieves that were used by God, and liars that were used by God, and adulterers that were used by God, and bad parents that were used by God, and bad wives that were used by God, and husbands that were used, bad husbands that were used by God. It's full of prostitutes being used by God. It's full of people who didn't even, it's full of people who didn't even believe in God being used by God. He used a donkey King James version of the Bible says he used an ass. So we're qualified here. You got to learn from your past. We need to understand some things. And we're going to get out of here early today. I'm hungry. First thing you need to understand is you are not what you've done. You are who God says you are. I said you are not who you what you have done. You are who God says you are. What you have done does not define you. It is not a label that God puts on you. You are the very product and identity of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Bible says he shaped you and he made you. The book of Psalms says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalms 139, I praise you because I'm fearfully I am wonderfully made. God of the universe, the God who spoke everything from nothing, breathed life into you. 
Think about that for a minute. Satan tries to get us hard to personalize sin. And this is my biggest issue. And let me make very clear, I'm not saying I'm against these things. They meet in our building, and I think they impact lives like crazy. But it's my biggest issue with addiction ministries. I'm Gary, and I'm an alcoholic. Why would we identify ourselves by our sin? I'm just getting them to own up to it. They're in the meeting. They owned up to it. Gary, I'm an addict. Gary, I'm a whore. Only a whore for you, baby. <laughs> Speaking of babies, are you holding a baby? Oh, no, that's a, that's a different one. What's she doing on the end? Had me worried there for a minute. I, my wife's been known that I come home and there'd be babies there. I was getting a little panicky there for a minute. Satan tries hard to get us to personalize our sin. He tries to get us in the mindset that the things we've done become who we are. I drink, so I'm a drunk. I do drugs, so I'm an addict. I cheat, so I'm an adulterer. I steal, so I'm a thief. Those are events. God says, no, 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 you're a child of the king. God says, you're forgiven. God said, I shaped you and I formed you and I made you and, I, and you went through the fire, but I was refining you for my purposes. You know who's the worst to understand that? It's the church. The unchurched world's more forgiving than the church world. Mind-boggling to me. The height of arrogance to me. Who are we? When God forgave us, He said we're a new creation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is Christ, is in Christ, the new has come, the old is gone, the new is here. They might still see you as that, but God sees you as a new creation. You're so much more. Hear me out today. You're so much more than your screw-ups. You are so much more than your past mistakes. You are so much more than your hurts. You're so much more than those you've hurt. You're so much more than your habits. You're so much more than your hang-ups. God made you. He created you. And what an insult to the creator to question his work. God loves you. And he formed you. And he made you. And he's going to use you if you figure out the algorithm. Man, you've got to live passionately. You've got to take those risks. It doesn't always make sense. Man, you've got to love completely. That means you've got to love the unlovable. And God's funny sense of irony. I had a meeting this week, and I told you the guy told me what people said, and I left that meeting and went to the store, and lo and behold, if one of those people weren't in the store. You know me. Hey! Doing, buddy? Went over, shook his hand, and he's acting all nice. I wanted to say, I heard what you said. But I said, Man, I've heard great things about what you're doing. You keep up the work. 
Okay. Love them completely. My flesh would elbow drop them to the head. My, el- my, my flesh want to say, you're the reason people don't go to church. My flesh wanted to say, you think I keep people away from God. Your hypocritical ass keeps people from God. But I didn't say those things because I'm maturing at 46 years old. I said, anything we can do to help you, let me know. No one is prideful self and never ask. But I'm responsible for me. The Bible says every man must give an account of himself. You say, were you being vindictive? I wasn't being vindictive. I was being sincere. I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for this guy. I want him to do great things. And I love when God puts me in positions to love people that sure don't love me. Just makes it fun. Listen to me, listen to me. You're not what you've done. You're who God says you are. God says you're forgiven. God says you're redeemed. God says he has a plan for your life. God says he has a purpose for your life. Like I told you, sin is is an event. It's never a person. (laughs) I pray today that some of you would realize, man, that when you look in the mirror, God sees a king and a queen. He sees someone he made plans for. He wants to do great things for. He's just waiting on you to get with the program. Now, let me give you some bad news here today. If you don't know Jesus, you are what you did. You are that guilt. You are that shame. You are that answer that you're trying to find in the bottom of that glass. But Jesus comes along and he changes you. I can't encourage you enough that if you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, today's the day to do that. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Hey, the good news about that is, is those past mistakes don't keep you from God. The only thing that keeps you from God is you. He said, I am the door. Whoever knocks, I'll open it. He's just waiting. I like it when Moses said, who do I say sent me? He said, I am that I am. Let me tell you something about my God today. He is whatever you need when you need him. When you need water, he's water. When you need food, he's food. When you need provisions, he's provisions. When you need forgiveness, he's forgiveness. When you need redemption, he's redemption. When you need strength, he's strength. When when, when you need boldness, he's boldness. He's God. He is who you need when you need him to be that. Somebody say amen today. We forgot who he is. The Alpha and Omega, he's the beginning and the end. He's the good shepherd. He's the great physician. He's the Rose of Sharon. Over and over, he's got different names because he's a God who, oh, don't miss this. This isn't even part of the sermon today. He meets you where you are. He's not waiting for you to get your act together. You don't catch a fish before you clean it. He meets you in the muck and the mire. David said, he picked me up by the miry clay and he set my feet on a solid rock. 
Oh, by the way, that's the same David who murdered people and cheated on his wife and his kids rebelled against him and almost lost the nation of Israel. And yes, the same David that God said, that's a man after my own heart. The church demands perfection. God just says, I'm looking for you to be available. I'd, I mean, I'd love to do a reality show with Jesus visiting churches. I love that show, Bar Rescue. Anybody watch Bar Rescue? I'd like to do church rescue. I'm going to pitch that to some guys I know. They should just bring me in. That'd be so fun. Oh my God, that would be fun. First rule would be like, no pastors can wear skinny jeans. That'd be like my first rule, you know? Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. Man, you are who God says you are. Second thing, and I'm done right here. You cannot change your past, but Jesus can change your future. Quit living where you can't change. You cannot go back in time. I get it, man. You're sorry. You're guilt-ridden. You're broken. That's a good sign, actually. But you can't live there. Because there's nothing you can do to go back in time and change what you did. Some of you didn't even do anything. Some of you had something done to you. My heart breaks for you. I meet more and more women who were molested as children. I can't imagine that. It'd be heartbreaking. And if I could go back in time, man, I'd load up the roughest, toughest dudes I knew, and we'd go back in time and handle that. But we can't. It's impossible. But you're living there. I've seen people who've lost a child. I, I, I don't ever want to minimize losing a child. Let me make that so clear to you. But I know a lady who lost a child probably almost two and a half decades ago, and if you talked to her today, you'd think it was yesterday. She's quit living for two and a half decades because of something she can't change. You can't change your past. The past can hurt. You've heard me say it before, embrace the suck. Nothing you can do to change the suck. I know people that have lost their marriage, and they can't go back. Listen, the marriage is gone. I'm sorry. They've moved on, and you wish you could go back and change it, and I get it, and if you had it to do over again, you'd do it different, but guess what? You can't. You can't change your future. You can't change your past, but Jesus will change your future. Man, you were young, and you did something stupid. Sucks. Sucks. But there's nothing you can do about it. So why do you keep beating yourself up over something that cannot be changed? It makes no sense. But Satan comes along, and he reminds you of it. And things trigger in your head, and it reminds you of it. And something happens, and man, it normally happens. You ever notice that most of the time that it happens? Hey, check it out, check it out, check it out. It happens the closer you're getting to God. Let me tell you how to know the past is going to rear its head. When doors start opening. 
when good things start happening, when big-time connections come along and opportunities come along, the devil's going to come along because he don't want to get you too excited. He's going to say, hey, hey, remember what you did? You don't deserve this. You don't deserve to be happy. You don't deserve to have joy. Who are you to live life fulfilled because you hurt those people? Oh, I don't even feel like this is cussing. Like the devil is a bastard. That'd be a good t-shirt, baby. We need to make that. He's a bastard. He got kicked out of heaven. Misery loves company. See, here's the problem. It sounds so cliche and so bumper stickerish. But he knows his future. So all he can do is remind you of your past. And when he reminds you of your past, guess what's happening? You go into shutdown mode. And other people aren't seeing the joy of the Lord in you, and you're not making inroads. Yeah, but there's going to be critics out there, Gary. Who cares? Let them criticize. You know why it doesn't bother me? It bothers y'all way more than it bothers me when people criticize me. Because they're not my target anyway. I'm not trying to reach the already convinced. I don't care. Now, I start doing some things, and those that are far from God start criticizing. I'm going to back up because now it's hurting me reaching those that I feel called to reach. But it's funny. I go back and think about all the crazy things we've done. We have done some crazy things as a church, boy. Woo! Holy smokes, we have done some crazy things in 10 years. Can you believe in two weeks it'll be 11 years? It's insane to me. But you know what? It's funny. Anytime we go do something, it's never the unchurched who criticize. It's the church. I think it reminds them that they aren't doing anything. (laughs) Did I say that? I think it reminds them that they're talking about what they should be doing instead of doing it. God has a plan for you in the future. And he can make your future the greatest. That doesn't mean it won't be full of obstacles. It doesn't even mean you won't mess up. But you'll have this amazing thing. The Bible calls it the peace that passes all understanding. It's contentment. The older I get, the more I have learned contentment. To just enjoy to be in the moment. I'm proud of what's going to happen here Thursday. That lady got teary-eyed in our lobby the other day. She told me, listen to this, she told me we were the 27th church she called. And we were the only ones that called her back. I, I don't understand that. And I get churches get all kinds of calls, but Mills on Wheels is a pretty reputable organization. We called her back immediately. Christine came to me and said, hey, this lady called, blah, blah, blah. I said, call her back and tell her we'll do it. 
Christine said, do you want to discuss it? I said, I'm not discussing it with her. I don't want to hear the details. I said, just tell her we'll do it. She said, do we know how many meals they need? I said, don't matter how many meals they need. I said, Christine, that's your face headache. Go figure it out. I don't care. It's our job. And, and guess what? None of those people who get a meal, here's what I think I like the most. Most of them won't even know the meal came from Action Church. I love that. But the ones who do, as they're eating probably their only hot meal for the day, aren't going to think, well, man, I've heard crazy things about that church. Is that the, oh, I can't eat this meal. That church, mm, it, lets, it lets the people who don't normally go to church come in and be accepted. I can't eat this turkey. They're just going to know somebody loved them. Somebody got up on Thanksgiving morning and took time away from their family on the biggest family day of the year and made sure they had a hot meal. That's amazing to me. You know the other great part about it? I won't even be here. No, I, I, don't, I think that's amazing. I don't have to be here for it to happen. Let's just be honest. If I show up, it's going to get messed up. I'm going to start talking to somebody that's supposed to be doing something vital. Or I'm going to say, man, you ought to change this up. And I, I don't even know the system. That lets me know Action Church isn't built on Gary Lamb. That's awesome. Because guess what? I'm going to be honest with you here. This is going to offend some of you. Feeding people ain't my passion. I don't give two rips if we ever feed anybody again. Goes back to that comment earlier about the body of Christ. It's other people's passion. You know what my passion is? My passion is teaching the Word of God in a way that for those that don't do church understand. That's my passion. That's what gets me going. But we got people who are passionate about feeding people and passionate about clothing people and crazy people who are passionate about that kid's area over there. That people are passionate about making sure the bills get paid around here. That's a lie in the church that everything's got to be everyone's passion. No, it doesn't. But we don't guilt you around here. You do what you feel called to do. Just make sure you're doing something. And the problem is so many of you are doing nothing because you're living in the past. God's working things out for you. He's a good God. He's a good God in the good times, and he's a good God in the bad times. The Bible says this, and then I'm done. Paul speaking in prison, about to lose his life. He says, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal. He said, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ has for me. He said, I'm pressing to live the life Christ has for me. He said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do know, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Is ahead. He said, I haven't obtained the life God has for me yet, but I, I know this, I've forgotten what I did in the past. Hey, guess what Paul's past was? He used to kill Christians. So excuse me if I'm not too impressed with your past 
caving the roof in. He said, I forget what's behind me, and I strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me homeward. He said, I'm just pressing towards the goal. What's the goal? The goal is our last breath here to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. We're to work here to win people to Christ until Christ is done with us. All of us then who are mature should take such a view on things. He said, all of us that are mature in our faith should take this view. What view? That we forget what's behind us. That's a goal. That's a sign of maturity. But I've never heard a church talk about that as Christian maturity. They'll talk about how long you pray and how much your Bible do you read and do you share Jesus. But he says a sign of maturity is that you've forgotten your past or you've learned from your past and you've moved on. Man, that's incredible. And if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make it clear to you. Here's the reality. Today is a new day. God's not done with you. There's an algorithm. Live passionate, love completely, and learn from your past. Some of you today have got to take that first step in moving on from your past. You screwed up. Join the club. Now move on and let God use you. Let's pray.